I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles as we continue our study in the book of John, the book of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. <clears throat> John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. We have come to this portion of text on the evening in which Jesus will be betrayed by Judas the evening before his death on the cross. Judas has left. There are the 11 remaining. And Jesus here shares with them these words as we begin our reading in John chapter 13, verse 31. <clears throat> the scriptures read, Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow, will not crow until you deny me three times. Let's bow together in a word of prayer before we begin our study. Our God in heaven, we give you thanks for your precious word, which endures forever. And we pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we might see great and mighty things from thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may have heard news report that came out about seven months ago. CNN reported that on September 30th, 2013, quote, Dwayne and Donna Johnson of Buena Vista, Colorado, had the perfect day planned. The electrician and high school football coach and his wife took their two teenage daughters on a day hike up a popular mountain trail. But then the unthinkable happened. A rock slide barreled down at them at a vantage point, looking up on the Agnes Valle Falls. Just before the cascading dirt and boulders swept Duane, his wife, and their oldest daughter to their deaths, Duane made a decision that saved the life of his 13-year-old daughter, Gracie. A few weeks after the tragedy, Gracie said, I did cover myself, but I was just standing in the open 
My dad pushed me to a rock that was bigger than I was, and he just saved me, unquote. Sheriff's deputy Nick Tolson said, Gracie said her dad jumped on top of her to protect her right at the last moment when the rocks were coming down. Immediately after the rock slide, the rescue workers began to search the area. They heard Gracie's voice coming from beneath the pile of rocks that covered her. Deputy, quote, eventually spotted Gracie's hand sticking out from the rocks. No one in the town was surprised by Duane's act of sacrificial love. A family friend said, quote, he would have done the same for any of our children, absolutely. Just two days before the accident, Duane wrote to his 18-year-old daughter and encouraged her to, quote, dream big, quote, develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And remember that, quote, deep, meaningful relationships bring happiness. Duane lived out those words and the words of his Savior, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, unquote. family friend thought that perhaps his only regret might be that he didn't jump in front of his whole family, but he's just that type of guy. What would people have said about you? What would they say that you're just that type of person? You're just that type of person who would have done that for any one of our children. Absolutely. The greatest display of love is self-sacrifice, and that is the love that is commanded of us today by the Lord Jesus Christ as he gives these last instructions on the night before he was betrayed. That particular act is one of many, you may hear, stories that are in the news of soldiers who jump on grenades to protect their fellow soldiers or others who go into the line of fire to drag a fellow comrade out of danger's way or Wives who will sacrifice themselves, mothers for their own children. Each of these displays what Jesus says in John 15, 13, that greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Because the supreme act or display of love is self-sacrifice, of giving one's own life for another. And this passage today stands in stark contrast to what we have seen in the past couple of weeks when we have looked at Judas. A Judas who stands like a black stain on a white cloth, who stands like a wolf among sheaves, who was there not for self-sacrifice, but there in selfishness and there in self-centered, money-loving traitor who sold out the Savior for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was the complete antithesis of what Jesus shares here. Even Thomas, whom we oftentimes kind of chagrin because he is known as Doubting Thomas, resigned himself when Jesus said earlier in the book of John that he was going to return near Jerusalem. Thomas resigned himself and said, well, let us also go, quote, so that we may die with him. Even he was willing to die, but not Judas. The context, as I've shared before, is here in the night before he was going to be betrayed, the Last Supper. Judas has already left because Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, go do it quickly. And he's left, and now he is left with the eleven. 
And Jesus here shares with him, with them, I should say, the glory of God the Father, who was going to be glorified in his death. He was going to share with him the love that they needed to have for one another, and lastly, the question and challenge to them of what it meant, self-sacrifice, the glorification of Christ comes in verse 31 after he had gone out, meaning Judas. Jesus said to him, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. With only the 11 here, Jesus speaks to them about the most important theme in all of the universe, in all of the scriptures, which is the glory of God. That God will be glorified in Jesus Christ, verse 31. And that theme undergirds everything, all of God's work, all of God's creation. The glory of God undergirds the plan of salvation, the final judgment, and all of creation declares the glory of God forever and ever it will throughout all of eternity. The glory of God is intrinsic to God himself. It is part of his own nature and that is why the Bible calls God the God of glory or the glory of Israel or the king of glory. That is why the Bible calls God the Father, the Father of glory in Ephesians or Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory or the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory because it is intrinsic within God himself. The glory is uniquely his part of his nature, and he will not share his glory with anyone else. As Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. That is why it is a sin to take away glory from God, to tribute glory to ourselves. And the Word of God consistently extols the greatness and the glory of God. The Psalms, which were the ancient Psalter of the Old Testament, in Psalm 57, 11, says, Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. And Psalm 72, 19, blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. And Psalm 19, 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Time and time again, the Psalms declare the glory of God, and it is an apt reminder that as we worship, as we come together, the idea that the center of our praise, our center of our worship, the center of our music, the center of the Word of God is the glory of God, that God be honored in all that is said and done, even in the small things where we're minded as we live and breathe in 1 Corinthians 10.31. That even as we eat or drink, all is to be done for the glory of God. Is that what we do? Is that our motivation? That we desire that God be known and be glorified in that which we do? Do you know why you were saved? Why God saved you? It wasn't because you and I were adorable. It wasn't because you and I were somehow good enough no, 
Romans 9 tells us that we were saved to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the message of salvation is the gospel of the glory of Christ. And most of all, God's glory is manifested in Jesus Christ. The word, as John says in John 1.14, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 2, verse 11, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. God in his sovereign plan will bring glory to himself through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus says, you know, a little children, I'm with you for a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, and now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. He prepares them for his death and his departure, of which they will, in comfort by his words, join him later. But God will be glorified through the death of his son. That is what Jesus brings about here. The ultimate theme of all that undergirds the scriptures, all that we live for, the reason why we were created, all of God's work of creation is to bring glory to himself. And then he gives his disciples a command, a command, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now this is not a new commandment in the sense that they've never heard this before, but it's a new commandment in the sense that the standard of loving others is the standard of Christ himself, the example, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's a well-known parable. We even have Good Samaritan laws here. And it's about a, about a parable that Jesus gives in answer to the question that a lawyer brings to him. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, this lawyer comes and he wishes to put Jesus to the test, the Bible says. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answers, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and all with all your heart, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing, the Bible says, to justify himself, this is the lawyer, Wishing to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And therein Jesus gives this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And Jesus tells this parable about a Good Samaritan who's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he falls among thieves. He gets beat up and he's laying by the side of the road. And he gives the parable and he says there are three different individuals who come and walk by. There's a priest who passes by on the other side, a Levite who passes the man and doesn't do anything as well. But then there comes a Samaritan. A Samaritan was despised by the Jews. A Samaritan was looked down upon because they had intermarried after the nation or the 
nation of Assyria had brought in foreigners into the land and they were despised. But it's the Samaritan who comes and he helps this man who has been beaten up, who's laying there probably to die. And then he takes him and pays for his physical needs. Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. See, Jesus gives that parable in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? And that is significant because the Jews, in their contemporary interpretation, to defend their own application, redefined who neighbor was. They tried to define neighbor as, well, you know what? The Bible does say, love your neighbor. Your neighbor is your fellow Jew. So if you love your fellow Jew, great, you followed the word of God. You can hate your Gentile friend who lives next door. Yes, the Pharisees. The Pharisees would define neighbor as one who was a Pharisee. You ask your Essenes, who were a sect of Judaism, who was your neighbor? And they would say the Essenes. In other words, they narrowly define neighbor in a certain class of people such that they would be able to fulfill the law because they had a hatred and they despised people who were non-Jews. And the parable of the Good Samaritan demolished their ethnic discriminatory biases rather than their inclination to love not only their fellow Jew or not only to love just their fellow Jew, their countrymen, and to hate others. The parable destroyed their interpretation and application of all of that. They were to love one another. And the standard that the text says here is, even as I have loved you. Do you remember when he washed the disciples' feet? He washed the feet of those who loved him as well as one who was going to betray him. You know, they had enough trouble among themselves, these disciples, of getting along. They were a rabble-rousing group of people who were jockeying for positions in the kingdom. They were a bunch of disciples who didn't always get along, who sometimes were angry at each other. A hodgepodge mix of folks from a political activist to a tax collector to those who were fishermen. Yet Jesus called them to love one another no matter what their differences were no matter what their personalities were, no matter how they thought about someone else, their backgrounds, Jesus called them to love one another. And that, my friend, is a high standard. Jesus sets the standard on whom we are to love and how we are to love them. We have all sorts of excuses, though, why we don't love someone else, why we don't show them the same love as we ought to. Oh, they're younger or they're, they're, they're too much older than I am, or, oh, they like certain things I don't like. I, they like shopping, and I like music. They like games, and I like traveling. They like this, and I like that. I'm just not into what they're into, and I just have a hard time relating to them, and don't ask me to love them. They're a different background. They're from a foreign country. They're of a different socioeconomic status. They have different interests. They're in a different grade. They're not in my class. 
They have different people that they like to hang out with. We're to love them just the same, aren't we? We're to love them all the same. We make all sorts of excuses, have all sorts of reasons. Oh, no, I don't love them. It's not my personality. I like spending time by myself. Do we ever say that? I don't love others. I don't even like others. It's not my, it's not my cup of tea. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. He made me this way. Is that what we say by implication? You say, look, I don't have a problem loving others. I've got lots of friends. Look at my Facebook page. Every time I post something, I get dozens of likes. Lots of people like me. Do you want to know what Jesus' standard is? God's standard. Turn first, first John. If you turn with me in your Bibles to First John chapter 3, this is how much we are to love our fellow, fellow brethren. First John chapter 3, the apostle John who wrote this gospel writes these epistles in First John chapter 3, verse 14. It says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. In other words, how do you know that you have had a change in your life, a heart change, passed out of death into life, that you have a transformed heart as a child of God? Because we love the brethren. We love the brethren. We love other believers. He who does not love abides in death. If you don't, what are you? Not having passed out of death. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then he says, verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Would you love like that? Do you love like that? How many people on your Facebook page would you die for? Would you love your fellow Christians by laying down your life for them, by even being inconvenienced to serve them? Love looks outside of oneself in order to help another succeed. Love looks outside of oneself to the best of someone else. That may come in different forms of encouragement, but also admonishment as well. Love thinks about the best for someone else. And then when one does, then we succeed as a body in Christ. A number of years ago, I shared with you a Wall Street Journal article entitled, The Seal Sensibility. As many of you know, the Navy SEALs go through a very rigorous amount of training very rigorous amount of training, and they've become well-known because of some of the operations that they have done, whether against terrorism or the rescue of Captain Phillips. The Navy SEALs go through tremendous training. The author outlines that 10 to 20% of elite special force soldiers actually make it through what they call Hell Week, week of taxing physical training. 
The article reads, What kind of man makes it through Hell Week? That's hard to say, but I do know, generally, who won't make it. There are a dozen types that fail. The weightlifting meathead who thinks that size of their biceps is an indication of their strength. The kids covered in tattoos announcing to the world how tough they are. The preening leaders who don't want to get dirty and the look-at-me former athletes who have always been told they are stars but have never have been pushed beyond the envelope of their talent to the core of their character. In short, those who fail through this week as a seal, those who fail are the ones who focus on show. The vicious beauty of Hell Week is that you either survive or fail. You endure or you quit. You do or you do not. Some men who seem impossibly weak at the beginning of SEAL training, men who puked on runs and had trouble with pull-ups, made it. Some men who were skinny and short and whose teeth chattered just looking at the ocean also made it. Some men who were visibly afraid, sometimes to the point of shaking, made it too. Almost all the men who survived possessed one common quality. Even in great pain, faced with the test of their life, they had the ability to step outside of their own pain, put aside their own fear, and ask, how can I help the guy next to me? They had more than the fist of courage and physical strength. They also had a heart large enough to think about others, to dedicate themselves to a higher purpose. That inner quality, you see, that inner quality, that ability to look outside of oneself, that ability to be unselfish, thinking of the best of others, is not only what makes a Navy SEAL, but what makes a Christian who truly loves his brethren. Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. Do we think like that? What can I do to help the guy next to me? It's not about show, not about strength, not about how we look, not about how much we can do for our own good, but what can we do to help the guy next to me? See, one of the marks of a mature believer is that of love. Despite whether or not the person next to you looks the same as you, has the same interests, goes to the same school, has the same classes, enjoys the same things you do. The mark of maturity is love, which looks beyond those things. Christ here brings to bear that he will be glorified through the cross. He brings to bear that the new commandment for us is to love one another. And thirdly, the question of Christ is brought to bear to them, that of self-sacrifice. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, you can't follow, but he gives a comforting word. You will follow later. And then he tells him, Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? See, Peter pipes up. 
Peter pipes up asking the Lord where he is going. The Lord's answer is, you can't come, not now, but you'll come later. And that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough for the disciples, for in their mind's eye, they just rejected this idea that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to die that he wasn't going to be with him anymore. They followed him for three years, and each and every time there was a need for food, for taxes, for safety, for comfort, whatever it was, Jesus was there to meet that need, and now he was going to be gone. Jesus tells them, Peter impetuously says, I'll die for you. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? That is the question as well for us. Will you lay down your life for Jesus? Will you lay down your life for Christ? What are you willing to give your life for? What are you willing to sacrifice for? Everyone is willing to sacrifice for the things that they value. Everyone is willing to sacrifice for the things or the people that they love. Everyone is willing to sacrifice for things that have great meaning to them, great significance to them, and they're willing to sacrifice for those things. Aren't we? Some of you play sports. You're in a sporting team. Maybe you're in school, and maybe some of you don't, but you know what? If you don't, you've seen coaches or parents who love to see their kids succeed or whatever. And they see a, an opposing football player coming down the, down the field with a ball and they're encouraging their, their son or daughter or their teammate or whatever, come on, and they'll tell them, stop him, you know? Stop him, don't be a wimp, sacrifice that body. And they will, they'll jump and grapple his legs and willing to what? Break their bones, get a concussion, you know? Whatever it may take to stop him, why? For points. Live up to expectations, not be ashamed. We talk about our sacrifices and we, we talk about that and we're willing to sacrifice great things in order that we might have something that we value. They sacrifice, and people like to talk about the past. I remember one gentleman here telling me way back in the day, he would go skiing. They ski on wooden skis, you know? Wooden skis. And they didn't have anything like a ski lift. So you take your wooden skis and you hike all the way up to the hill. And then you slide on down, you know? One hike, I'd be done. <laughs> I think they had a rope tow back then, but nothing like that existed. They like to talk about the things, the sacrifices of the past. Maybe your grandmother did. Oh, quit complaining when you're pregnant. Back then, we didn't even have epidurals. And I bear it all for you. When it comes to the things of God, though, how much are we willing to suffer? I can imagine if I had come yesterday morning to your house and said, come on, time to get up. Don't be a wimp. There's a church work day. Sacrifice your body. Your treasure's in heaven. You know what you do? You sleep in in order to spite me, I'm sure. And you'd call out Proverbs 27, 14, like my friend did. Do not call out to your brother loudly in the morning, lest he curse you. <laughs> That's what we say. We know some semblance of sacrifice. We sacrifice for our children so they can have opportunities. We sacrifice for our children so they can have education. Why? Because we love them. And Christ asked 
Peter a question here. How much do you really love me? Will you sacrifice your life for me or will the cock crow? The cock will crow. Peter denied Christ later on. How much will you sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the extent to which we love Christ is the extent to which we're willing to sacrifice for Christ. If you have little value, there will be little sacrifice. You're going to consider serving God an inconvenience. But if you value and love the Lord Jesus Christ, your sacrifice will be great. The question is, how much do you really love the Lord Jesus? Just ask yourself that. To what degree am I willing to sacrifice for him? As Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? There is no greater one to serve, no sacrifice that could be greater than to do it for the Lord Jesus. Let me encourage you to be willing to suffer, be willing to be ashamed, be willing to have hardship, to sacrifice your Self, because Christ is worthy. You know, when I was in Africa teaching, I was teaching these pastors, and we were talking about how they needed to be diligent to study the Word of God, to be diligent students of the Word of God, that they might, that they might be careful in how they handle the Word of God. And a man in the front row raised his hand, and he said, how can you expect us? How can you expect us to have time how can you expect us to have time to study and read like you're saying? When we have to farm for our foods, when we have families to raise, and they have big families, and how they could barely eke out a living, how can you expect us to have that type of time? Do you know? And he was pointing, sort of implying to me, well, you, you come from America, and you have that type of time. And a coworker, an African man who was a pastor, stood up and he said, you know, he knows and he knew what it was like. When he first started, he would dig ditches. He would dig dirt for a living. He would dig dirt and dig these ditches simply to make money for his family and to support himself. That simply because he had to dig dirt for a living never meant that he was not also responsible to study the Word of God. He knew what it was to work hard in the heat of the sun all day, digging dirt just so he could put food on the table. But he knew his call was to sacrifice for Christ. Whether it be to work or whether it be for one's life, the sacrifice is all worth it. As Paul writes in Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, unquote. Will you bring glory to God by your sacrifices? Will you bring glory to God by your love for one another? Are you the type of person that they would say about you in an article, he would do that or she would do that, for my kids to lay down your life for the brethren because what are you doing? Looking out for the guy next door. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks. Oh God, we can love because you first loved us. We can love 
because of the greatness of your love, we think of your word. It is because of your love that you sent your only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins. Oh, how great a love that is. And we pray, O oh God, that we might do the same, a new commandment which you have given to us, that we love one another just as Christ has loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.